The sprawl is supported by people who value independent local journalism in Alberta. If you're not already a Sprawl member, we'd love to have you on board. Please consider pitching in to support our newsroom. You can sign up at sprawlalberta.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CGSW 90.9 FM, and we are broadcasting slash podcasting from Calgary in Treaty 7 territory. Sprawlcast is a show for curious Albertans who want more than the daily news grind, people who want stories and conversations that go a little deeper. These kids would have been future elders even to me now. And that's a knowledge that I'm never going to be able to experience. Use your social media platforms and influence your family and friends and keep sharing the messages. Keep sharing your own stories. Keep sharing other people's stories so that it keeps on attention and it's not just going to be cycled out for the next news story. You just heard Autumn Eagle speaker who is one of many people who spoke at a vigil outside Calgary City Hall on May 31st. This was just a few days after the Tecumlups Tesehwepmich First Nation announced that it had found the bodies of 215 children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. And in the wake of this news, numerous vigils happened across the country, including Alberta's cities. In this sprawlcast, we're going to hear from two young First Nations activists who are on the front lines of organizing these actions. The Sprawl's deputy editor in Edmonton, Hamdi Asawi, has more. On the night of Monday, May 31st in Edmonton, about 300 people arrived at the Alberta Legislature Building to mourn the recently discovered victims of the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Children's shoes, candles, and teddy bears lined the steps around a memorial on the north side of the building. It was a second vigil of its kind in two days, but this one was organized by Miquin Moses, a 23-year-old Cree student at Muscogee's Cultural College. Recent events gave Moses a new perspective on the tragic news. She'd just given birth to a brand new baby girl. She's two weeks old. <laughs> two weeks old? Wow, no wonder you're so busy. I don't blame you at all. <laughs> Yeah. Also must be very exciting, though, to have have a new addition to your household. Yeah. Yeah. We're very happy. I can't believe you planned and organized this with uh, (laughs) two weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. Two weeks, freaking a week and a half postpartum. And I was just up there, you know, standing for the people. (laughs) Yeah. I never would have guessed. One thing, one thing I noticed when, when you were talking about the 215 uh, children, you, you referred to them as babies a few times. And I was wondering, yeah. given that I now know that you're, you're a new mother, has that changed your outlook? Do you think that played a role in maybe motivating you to act and organize? It definitely did. Um, like just having my baby two weeks ago uh, and then hearing about all of this, it's kind of it makes you view things a little bit differently because now you know how much love that a parent has for their child. And like, I was just so emotional about it because, you know, thinking about what my people went through and, you know, like all our families and, you know, all this intergenerational trauma, I can, I can even 
imagine any of that happening to happening to any of my children and just just the heartbreak and how much it would have affected the other parents who who had lost their children all that time ago and um it definitely did play a big role because I just I felt so much more I guess because I could understand more of how a parent would feel you know if that makes sense Mm -hmm. is this the first time you've ever organized anything like this no, I I had a rally in Muscatrice before. It was anti-racism rally. And I think CTV News ended up coming out and um, talking to us about it as well. And it was just posters kind of just standing by the highway. Dozens gathered in Muscatrice today, condemning what they call a racist social media post connected to a Pinoca school being put in a hold and secure on Friday. And it made the community really, really upset about the racism that we experienced out there. Um, this was when I was living in Pinoca as well. And um, so I organized a, a rally in Muscogee, just kind of like protesting against racism. And um, a lot of people came out to that one. So uh, you, you, you've done this before. Would you consider yourself an activist? Um, yeah, at this point, I would. <laughs> <laughs> what what made you decide to you know I mean go in this direction? Um, well, basically, I started uh, college uh, for Indigenous social work. Um, been doing it for four years now, and through my education, it's kind of taught me so much and really um, put my anxieties aside about really wanting to speak out and standing for what's right, if that makes sense. And so through that, I've been really connected into the community a lot more, um, just through my education. And then um, that's kind of just what sparked it was, uh, it kind of made me not really afraid to wanna do these type of things and to encourage everyone else to speak up about it. Um, just because it's kind of like, I go by, um, knowing that I'm part of the generation that is responsible for change. So what, tell, tell me a little bit more about what sparked, uh, or I guess, what, how am I going to say this? What, what motivated you to organize this vigil? A lot of the emotion that I felt, um, you know, with the uh, 215 children being found in Kamloops, I, myself and a lot of the First Nations community was, um, really affected emotionally and mentally by this impact. And, you know, it's, it's something we've been experiencing our whole life. So what motivated me to do it was um, how I felt about it, which was kind of just um, a lot of sadness, a lot of anger, um, and a lot of like drive that, you know, like this needs to change, this needs to, be known that like, this is what we went through. This is Canada's history and it needs to be surfaced. That's, that's what drove me to do it. What effect did you want it to have on the community that you gathered there? Or maybe the ones that, that didn't show up too? Basically, I think, I think my, my goal from creating the event was um, having our First Nations and like Indigenous people to come together and be able to mourn this together and be able to just be around each other because, um, you know, we've all been affected. We've, we all understand this, how it feels. And we all come from families that have experienced this. And um, I think 
the takeaway that I wanted everyone to have was um, kind of like a bit of comfort that this has gone recognized finally and that we were able to do something together for these children that were found and then it kind of turned into more of like a protest and a rally because you know so many people are upset about it and um and i think then the takeaway was more of uh, like we're not gonna stand by this is not going to be silenced in canada's history anymore everyone needs to know about this um and that ended up being the ultimate takeaway i think did you see a vigil as an act of protest or is that just the way that this one happened i mean is that just a component of, of this one given the circumstances i think yeah given the circumstances that's what this um like the vigil ended up kind of being into a protest and um I think, you know, there's so much feelings and emotion for our people to, you know, go through this um, again with like our history being surfaced and then um, knowing how much it really hurt us and it still does. And I think that's what ended up bringing it into a protest was, um, well, for me, it's kind of like I was angry at the fact that, um, like it's it's taken so long and and people are still struggling and going through trauma from our history and it's just kind of like um like this is kind of like the circumstances of what happened with residential schools and that's where the anger comes from i think for me mm -hmm. and you don't have to answer this at all but i'm curious you you mentioned a little bit about it at the rally so i thought i'd ask but are you comfortable talking about how the effects of the residential school system have affected you and your family? I think for me, I wanted to speak on behalf of myself and my family because it's another drive for me. It's it's another way that I see um, that I can change um, the outcome of what our generation goes through and the way we kind of um, handle it. And I think, um, given that my my family had gone through the 60s scoop and um therefore i don't know my biological grandparents because both of my parents um were taken away very very young age um from their biological parents themselves so it's it's a really huge impact and it's it's caused a lot of like um emotions of like feeling lost or um, lonely for my parents and then ultimately a lot of the 60s group was children being placed in um homes with like white people and and taken away from their families so knowing that my parents went through that i i can see the ultimate outcome from it which ended up unfortunately being addictions and um, I ended up losing my mother. She passed away in 2013. Um, and then my dad still struggles with, um, like he's gone through addictions. He's sober now. Uh, and through everything he's gone through, it, it ultimately made him um, like choose substance abuse to cope. And just just from like, my education, I can understand this now 
like why my parents um, had made the choices that they did is because they experienced so much trauma um, and a lot of that was not really like supported or like they didn't have a lot of help in a lot of ways. So for me to think about it, when I think about my parents, um, I can say that, you know, they came from that and I came from them, but knowing the history and knowing um, how I can heal and help other people heal from it um, can be the ultimate, you know, generation of change. And it's why I encourage everyone else to do it, and especially the youth. Some change is already happening. In Calgary, students finally won a long-fought battle to change the name of Langevin School, named after Hector Louis Langevin, one of the architects of the residential school system. And in Edmonton, Mayor Don Iveson is trying to rename Grandin LRT Station, which is also named after an early advocate for residential schools. Definitely, I, I, I do agree that things like that are happening because of the movement, because of so much that has been sparked um, in the media that like things are finally being changed. And um, I would definitely encourage more of that to happen because um, by making those changes, it's kind of like recognizing um, what's wrong about it and, and making it right and, and making, um, you know, First, Pe- First Nations people be comfortable again and, and being heard and, you know, like we're not invisible and that these changes really do matter. Um, it, it's, it's a huge statement for, for the renaming to happen. And even the lowering of the flags was a really big statement as well. And um, it was just, it's kind of like an ultimate move of respect for what's going on and um, kind of just wanting to make it right, I think. And I I think that's more of that is probably going to happen with more of this movement because it's, it's, it's pushing people to um, make the changes that are supposed to happen. When I was at the vigil in Edmonton, Miquin said something that struck me. I want all of you to know who are struggling that you can change how you interpret it into your future. You can take something that hurt you and you can change it into something that will drive you. And that's me saying that none of you should ever, ever stop fighting for what's right, for what our people need to be heard for. At the same time, she sees herself as a member of the generation that can break the cycle of trauma spurred by the residential school system. But she's not going it alone. Make one's right, 100%. Um, This isn't easy work. You're constantly reliving a different type of trauma um, doing it, especially such as this whole um, situation. And it's, it's, like I said, it's really hard having to listen to um, my knowledge keepers and how much they're hurting right now. Cheryl Baptiste is a 24-year-old freelance artist with Cree, Ojibwe, and Blackfoot roots. She lives in Red Deer, but even from 150 kilometers away, she was keeping an eye on the event in Edmonton, and even had a hand in helping Miquin organize it. I actually have yet to meet her. I met her through social media, mm-hmm. and um, she had reached out to me because we we have relatives, like my own aunties and uncles, and 
my grandparents had to go through residential schools. And this has just taken a really, really deep effect on the community. So um, I was just wanting to play any part that I could. So I was helping her like connect with uh, different groups and people in Edmonton and just trying to help her set up the um, speakers and drummers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, it's safe to say that you, you like this, this, this news, uh, locating the, the, the remains, I guess, of those 215 children, that, that really struck you. It, did it resonate with you? I did because um, having family members like describe their experiences and um, it's just what they had to go through um, is absolutely terrible. And like, I honestly believe I'm a child of generational trauma because like growing up, my mom was a very dysfunctional person, but like that was just how her parents were as well. Mm -hmm. And she also had to go through the system of residential schools. So, and like I said, my family is having a really, really difficult time about it. Um, My mom keeps like crying on and off. Like even today, she was like, everything just feels different now. Like it's just like a a part of her past that she doesn't want to relive and it's just like right up in your face and like it's everywhere on social media right now and she's having a hard time even just wanting to be on Facebook so and the response to this have been have been actions like like the vigil how do those help or do they help Uh, it does help a lot it helps bring healing and it's just a way to um like remember these kids that just never came home like like I said they're like the survivors are really fortunate to be here today and it's just sad to think about like these kids would have been future elders even to me now and that's a knowledge that I'm never going to be able to experience we just wanted um the acknowledgement and to commemorate these people um being indigenous um you don't you don't get treated very well and like and like I knew about residential schools for a long time and like I have people even talking to me now who are older than I am who had no idea about anything that happened through residential schools so it's just having that acknowledgement and people actually believing you and um it validates people's experiences and if anything it's like a call to action as well it's um just like a catalyst for Canada to recognize that it's built on a colonial system when you talked about this uh, or when you said it it could lead to a social movement what what role do you see yourself playing in it if you do see yourself playing a role in it at all um well I do a lot of advocating for um children in like the foster care system and MMIWGTUST plus and um I've spoken about residential schools and I'll like try to also smash stereotypes. Um, and I feel like if it becomes a social movement, which I personally believe it will, because this is something that Canada cannot brush under the rug. Like these were innocent children that like 215 innocent children they just found. That is absolutely unavoidable. It's inexcusable. And there needs to be some form of reconciliation. And I was wondering, do you see this like vigils in this case, maybe not in all cases, but in this case as having like a dual nature, maybe one part remembrance, one part protest? Oh yeah, 100%. Like I I feel like indigenous people have been 
angry for for a while. Um, there's a lot within our system that is very oppressive towards Indigenous people and is built to work against work against us. And um, even when I go out to protest, like I'm <laughs> I'm always yelling and like um, just because there's again like you can protest, but sometimes you still won't get that acknowledgement. But it's just a matter of like what Makeman said. It's just it's been too long. And Indigenous people know our history, and there just hasn't been any form of reconciliation or trying to make it better. Like Moses, Baptiste says a brush with racism in her own life put her on the activist path. I'm kind of still a baby activist. Uh, what really got me into it was um, it was just like last year when all the protests were popping up, and um, I was in a very, very public place. <laughs> I just wanted to order some food, actually. Um, and there was like um, a group of people in front of me they were just talking really disrespectfully about George Floyd and very distastefully and I just didn't feel like it was appropriate because there was kids around and like just everything they were saying was just very wrong so um I decided to step in and say something and they started racially discriminating towards me instead like, like and, what, you know, what, 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 were, what were they saying to you well um the one lady just like looked at me and she was like I'm, I feel like super sorry for you because you're never going to have an easy life because you're not white. And yeah, no, it's, it's not the first time I've been told something along those lines. I was just kind of fed up because, I mean, nobody bothered to stand up for me and I left without getting a meal. So, mm-hmm. and I just, I was just like, just frustrated with how everything was in the world. And like, um, I just felt very hurt by that statement. So I just decided I was going to go protest outside of the courthouse on my own. I made a post on Facebook and then it just like blew up and there was just so much support in the community and it was a beautiful day. So to tell me about that. Um, like, what were you protesting? How did that day play out? Um, well, it was mainly the, per- the, I, the first one that I held was just about um, racism in general. And then I actually held... A, a second protest afterwards and 700 people showed up and that one was specifically for George Floyd and BLM and of course like it, anyone of like like just the BIPOC community just came out and it was just really great and we fundraised um $2,500 for uh, the Native Friendship Society here. Wow that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that was just my first two protests. Is, is there something that you'd like to see in, in your lifetime through the activism that you're doing or the, the, the actions that you're taking part in? Um, yeah, I'd like to see them improve our welfare system, like especially because uh, with how foster care is with Indigenous children, um, we're way too overrepresented. overrepresented. I'd like to see um, something done with missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, especially those two. And I would like them to do something about the bodies at all these residential schools because they are going to find more. And that's a fact. I know there's um, marches going to be happening in the bigger cities. I feel like more of those are going to probably be popping up. Are you going to be playing a role in them? Uh, I would, I would absolutely love to. Um, Probably the biggest thing that I love doing is being a part of the organizing and I, I love being there to like 
speak and like educate people and connect with people in the communities and that's that's kind of something that I love doing. Yeah, I was going to ask you like besides like the obvious like the intent or the the original intent of of the action whether it's a vigil or a march or a protest what what do you get out of it is there something else something else maybe intangible that that you get out of being involving yourself in this experience um i think the biggest thing for me is the fact that um i just want the younger generation to have um a, <laughs> a better future um and i just want young people to know as well that they that change is possible and being a part of the change is it's scary, but you can make it happen as long as you actually believe in the cause and your knowledge, because I I'm only 24. <laughs> so um, it, I just feel like it's inspiring for the younger generation and it encourages them to want to get up and go out. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Klossus and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. And you just heard Hamdi Yasawi, The Sprawl's deputy editor, reporting from Edmonton. If you're a residential school survivor and you're looking for support due to something you've heard here or just generally, the 24-hour National Indian Residential School Crisis Line is available to support you. You can call them at 1-866-925-4419. You can find a full transcript of this episode on our website, which has a new address. You can find The Sprawl online at sprawlalberta.com. And our social media channels also have a new name. We're at Sprawl Alberta on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Make sure you check out our website because right now in the month of June, we're doing a protest edition. You can find an editorial by our associate editor, Miranda Martini. There's going to be lots more good stories coming throughout June, so stay tuned for that. Our theme music is by Dan D. Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that we rely on our listeners and readers to fund our journalism. So if you value stories like these, please consider becoming a Sprawl member today. You can sign up at sprawlalberta.com.